welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. Listeners, I'm on a mission to find new, inspiring ways to improve the way organisations communicate with their people. The curtain is about to lift on a brand new season of the show. But just before it does, let's have a little saunter through some of my favourite moments from the last season. In March 2020, just before lockdown, Rachel Miller and I met in her new offices in West London. Consultant, trainer, public speaker and prolific blogger, Rachel is perhaps one of the best-known voices in internal comms. Now, this is my second interview with Rachel, and yet again, she gave us plenty of practical, relevant advice. So here we are, talking about how to develop a strategic narrative for your organisation. So in your blog about the challenges that people have been grappling with, the word narrative came up. So I think it was Menelie Gibbons that writes about the narrative. Everyone wants one, but no one really knows what one is. Now, I'm certainly noticing organisations wanting a far more strategic approach to content, which I think is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I think it's difficult to have that without a strategic narrative. When you hear that phrase, what do you think of? Why would you want one? And then the big question, then how do you get there? How do you develop it? So for me, this is, so I use the Engage for Success enablers of engagement and I, I, I the strategic narrative is the story of your organisation, how they describe it is where it's come from and where it's going. Mm-hmm. And I simplify it to that. And I, and I think the strategic narrative is the story of your organisation and that, and I, you can manifest that through visual timelines, for example. I love doing that. I've got a board on Pinterest, actually, of visual timelines. I'm a visual thinker. And I love seeing milestones for organisations. In order for you to communicate change, for example, my advice always to clients is look back before you go forward. Yes. So I did this at London Overground. We had lots of, you know, had a new line to open, new tracks, new trains, new uniform, new colleagues, everything. And the organisation had been in existence for 18 months. And before we zoomed off with, here's all the big shiny things we're about to do, I may just pause, reflect, look back, and I published a timeline of key milestones that went back 18 months and said, I believe, you know, affirming behaviour. Yes. You're well placed to do all the things that are ahead because look what we've already done. That's the strategic narrative. That's the story. Where we've come from, where we're going. But where we've come from is often missed. Yes, yes. And we, we get so consumed with aspirations and visions of purpose, of how we need to be as an organisation. Mm-hmm. And actually a lot of that for me is about affirming behaviour of your employees, which is look how far we've come. Mm. Or look at the challenges that we've overcome. There will be more, but we can do this because we've done all these things already. So strategic narrative, to bring it to life for me, is about the words of your people. It's not just leaders saying, we believe we're going to be the best whatever type of organisation we are. But it's really helping your employees understand that everyone has a role to play in this story. Yes. And even better if you can do it peer-to-peer, through their voices, through their eyes, where it's not you're not communicating at them and to mm, them but mm. for them and with them so good strategic narrative should be consistent and it should be actionable and it should be tangible where it shouldn't matter who I talk to in the organization you are saying the same story you've got the same sense of what we're here to do as an organization 
Having interviewed Rachel, I packed up my recording equipment and hot-footed it across London to AB's offices and our recording studio there, just behind the Shard, to interview Bill Quirk. Bill is the author of two seminal books on IC, Communicating Corporate Change and Making the Connections, which are full of insights, strategies and models that have profoundly influenced our profession. Here we are talking about language. I don't worry about dumbing down. Short and sticky gets the message across. Whatever gets remembered gets repeated. What gets repeated gets reinforced. Yes. The number of people who stumble out of a strategic conference and they can't remember, you say, what is the strategy? I had a chief executive say, how can you have run a survey saying no one understands the strategy when we spent a fortune telling them the strategy? And you go back and look at the 85 PowerPoint slides that no one can remember. Mm, mm, Uh, mm. And so meaning is, I mean, it starts, the chain of meaning, it it breaks very close to the top. Yes. Because, um, you know, I tell the story against myself about my communication with my daughters, because the, um, which a lesson I learned, which is my wife always says, if you're such a communication expert, why are you so bad at it? But, I, you know, one of the lessons I learned about change is I would get out of the shower and there'd be no towel, you know, and I'd open the cupboard and no towels. And that's because my one of my daughters would have taken three towels, wrapped, you know, her hair around us and, and left me naked and shivering in the, in the bathroom. And I would say to her, you know, why can't you be more considerate? So she would look a bit abashed. And then later on, she would come into the room with a cup of tea and give me a cup of tea. And I would say, OK, thank you very much. It took me a long time to realise I was translating no bloody towels Mm -hmm. into lack of consideration, Mm. giving a message be considerate, which she translated the action of tea making. Am I making sense? Yeah, you absolutely are. So the chain of meaning I destroyed very early on in the process. Yes. And so when you look at leaders and you get leaders on a flip chart, say, what do you want people to do? They would say, shift the paradigm. Mm. So Mm. where where do you need it shifted to? (laughs) We need them to buy in. To what? To what? We need to get some traction. uh, And we need to get more granular. Or this is language which means nothing (laughs) to anybody. Because when you you go into a conference and say, guys, we've got to be more granular and and, and get get the low-hanging fruit. Yes, exactly. We just get lost in a metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing with cascade. Let's cascade this. Cascade is a metaphor that we've all been captured by Mm. because there is no gravitational pull dragging mm. communication down. Mm, that's you know, right. It, it's, I'm going to keep saying to clients, listen, it's not a cascade. You are rolling a boulder up a hill. <laughs> this is getting more difficult. This is the myth of Sisyphus. You know, you're pushing this. You know, if, you're going to get, if you're going to use a metaphor, let's use a, the right metaphor. Yes, you're speaking to someone who wrote a book from cascade to conversation, and I should have but quoted on, you but, up from. But I remember uh, referring to that during my speech, yes, at that speech and yes. saying it was very good. It was exactly what we needed, which is it isn't, there's not, there isn't a cascade, it's, it's not a, a myth. Cascade. It's absolute myth. It's not complaining, it's complaining, says Chuck Ghost. He is the voice of IC the founder of Icology, the podcast that since 2015 has been giving IC pros a global platform to share experiences and insights. I always find Chuck's passion and enthusiasm incredibly infectious. So here is Chuck explaining all about comsplaining. 
So it's a it's a term that I came up with with Kristen Hancock, who is also my wife. Um, we both work with communicators in different ways, but what we noticed is there were these common complaints that we kept hearing from communicators over and over and over again. And so we came up with this com-splaining term because it's been this epidemic use of, well, we can't do this because of that, or we can't do this because they would never do I hear it all the times when, they, when communicators will tell me, oh my gosh, our employees will never download an app. Number <laughs> one, they've never asked their employees if they would. We're just projecting our own fears, biases, whatever word you want to use, that's going to impact the rest of the world. So one of them, one of these complaints that drive me crazy is when you hear communicators say, oh, our attention spans are shrinking, or you see that this, we've got shorter attention spans than a goldfish. This is this common thing. When you look at it, one, it's a completely BS data point. There's no science behind it. Of course, we don't have the attention spans of goldfish. We will binge watch hours of Netflix <laughs> if, it, if it keeps us curious, right? We're not every eight seconds jumping to something else. So what I hear when communicators say, oh, we can't, our employees' attention spans, we, we don't have a chance, we're not fighting it. It's like, no, you, it's just your content's really boring. <laughs> like that's, that's what it is. It's not, they don't have a short attention span. We just have, we don't have time to pay attention to crappy content. Yeah. If your content is really good, we people will pay attention to it. People will watch hours of content in a row if it's good content. So don't don't use this BS study about comparing the human attention span to a goldfish. It's not it's garbage, but people will use that. And the other common one, and this is one that your first guest, Rachel Miller, her and I disagree on this one, is when they'll say things like, Oh, our employees have survey fatigue. Because we just survey them too much. They have survey fatigue. When in actuality, it's like, no, you just have really bad surveys. Yeah. And you've never done anything with the feedback. Exactly. So they're not not tired of taking surveys. They're tired of taking really bad surveys that nobody does anything with. So Mm -hmm. don't project your own poor surveys and not giving feedback and not sharing what you've done with the feedback on employees that we can't do it because they got survey fatigue. They're not fatigued. If you do a survey, use the feedback in a, in a quick manner and say, here's what, here's what you told us. Here's what we're going to do. Now later come back and say, here's what we did based on that feedback. The next time you go to ask them, absolutely people will mm-hmm. give you that feedback. So don't use the survey fatigue thing. And this is where I set people up when we speak about comps winning. They'll be like, who's have survey fatigue? And everybody raise their hands. I'm like, it's not a thing. <laughs> because it's, we've made it up. We, we've comps explained away surveys to project our own insecurities and poor use of them. Yes, yes. And that's just a short list of them. It's IT, it's legal, it's quote-unquote want a seat at the table. All this stuff that we've taken as like part of our profession aren't helping our profession. In fact, anything, they're sabotaging our careers. When I ask my guests who has inspired their thinking, one name keeps coming up. Roger Dupree. Roger is the author of 10 books on communication, leadership and culture. I felt so privileged to get Roger on the line from New York in the middle of lockdown to reflect on a 60-year career in communication. We discovered that we both have 
a real love of qualitative research. And here is Roger explaining why. You know, what has always fascinated me about running focus groups, uh, which is a major tool, as you know, of, of consulting, mm. uh, is the, the number of people who will come to you after the session is over and say, I really enjoyed that. Yes. That, that was uh, really great. This is the first opportunity I've ever had to express my views and my questions. Yes. So, there's a payoff there that I don't think everybody quite understands. Does does that mean you're a, a secret fan of of qualitative research um, over over quant? I mean, it, it seems to me it's so easy to run a poll now because we've got all this software. But I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, qualitative research with the open question where you're really listening to people's answers. You're getting verbatim quotes out of them. Is that something you've enjoyed in your career? Oh, I absolutely agree. And that was a favorite part of my career mm. was uh, sitting there listening to people. I've even seen, and you, in your own experience, may have seen this, people become very emotional. In the oh, yes. I've yeah. seen people break into to tears yes. and, as they express some of their frustrations. Yes. So uh, I love that part of, of consulting. I never got sick of running focus groups. You're right. Uh, the, the quantitative research so often is puzzling. I mean, the, <laughs> so often there are contradictions that, that you can't resolve. Yes. Uh, there are, are uh, findings that, that leave you scratching your head. <laughs> um, so I, I, I want to hear face-to-face with passion what people are feeling and and it's interesting isn't it when you you know you can ask someone you know, and describe the i don't know i'm making this up now but describe the strategic priorities of this organization and then they'll reel you off four strategic priorities and then you can say and and, and, and what does that mean to you and they'll they'll look at you as well, i've got no idea i just remember them because they're on the back of my lanyard or they're on the wall as i walk in you know and, and, and you can't you can't get that from any other kind of research you really do have to to sit people down and, and watch their expressions i i sometimes had to refrain from saying to the group god how, how have you dealt with all this <laughs> um, <laughs> i can't believe what you're telling me is that bad <laughs> When the COVID-19 crisis hit, communicators everywhere were thrown into the spotlight. For many, this has been the biggest test of their careers. In this clip, Sarah Pinch, founder of Pinchpoint Communications, talks about the importance of authenticity and honesty in a crisis. So we were talking to a client um, earlier in the week and um, and they said, what I really want to say is I want to say to the staff that I wish I could give them all a hug. <laughs> and I said to her, well, why can't you say that? And she yeah. said, well, you know, it's not appropriate, is it? I mean, I'm the boss. I can't be seen to be giving people a hug. I said, people are scared. Yeah. People are scared. And actually, I think you should say that. And so I think I really hope that people show more of their humanity, more of their understanding in their communications. I think it's absolutely fine to bring a bit more of ourselves into this crisis than we might do normally. 
Jenny Field is the 2020 president of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. It's quite a year to be at the helm of the CIPR. Once it was okay for us to meet at a safe distance at my home, she kindly came to have a face-to-face conversation with me. Um, And we got pretty overly excited about this prospect, as you'll hear in the episode. One of the things I'm very keen to ask you about is, and this is a selfish question because listeners might know I've just been elected to the International Executive Board of the IABC. And the question I suppose that I'm asking myself in that position and the question, therefore, I'm asking you because you're going to know the answer (laughs) much more than me is what role do membership bodies have in a world where we can get seemingly so much for free online in terms of, you know, training ideas, um, forums, whatever it is. What role does a membership body play in that world? Yeah, it's a question I've been asked my whole time as a volunteer for CIPR. So you're going to get loads of these now that you're a board <laughs> member for IABC. Um, I, I always use the gym analogy when I talk about professional membership because you can join a gym and that is not going to make you fit and healthy. Okay, so you have an intention to be better, a better version of yourself if you're going to be joining a gym traditionally because you might want to lose weight or muscle, whatever it might be. So you're going with that intention and you have to put the work in in order to achieve the goal that you've set yourself. When you look at a professional membership body, for me it's similar. You can't join a professional membership body and just expect to become a better communicator. (laughs) You have to put the work in to do that. And I think there are some people that will join because they want to be able to have um, just the link to it, to be able to say, I'm a member of that body. You're therefore bound by a code of conduct. You're therefore bound by the ethics and everything that that stands for. You can be reported. You can go through a process there. So there is that which I quite like, that I'm held to account. But if we go back to the gym piece again, it's that you get out what you put in, which is what so many people say. But as a professional membership body, for me, there is loads out there I could get for free. And when I joined six years ago, I was doing, I think I was doing internal comms then, and I'd done my media relations and other bits and bobs like that. And I joined and I remember walking into this room full of people that I'd never met in my life, range of ages, range of backgrounds, and really interested to have conversations, feeling hugely out of my depth, thinking I don't know any of this stuff. But it opened up a world for me of people that I could talk to that I would grow to trust and build relationships with that would be people that would help me in my career. So where I've identified I need some help with public affairs, sure, I can go and look on the internet and I can search stuff and I could do a diploma in it and I could read some books. But actually having a conversation with somebody around okay, but I don't understand how this works and how this works with this and how do you lobby and how does that work is really helpful. And having access to those people, if for me, is what comes from being part of a professional body because I've made some of my best friends through the CIPR and it's all about networking, but it's about putting yourself in those positions to network and to find those people and to ask. And that's Mm. what it's always been about for me is how can I help you? How can you help me? And how can we connect each other to other people? And the the CPD and the development that you get, you have to have a plan to do that. So much like you'd have a plan at the gym, right? A plan with your membership and how you want to develop, but also just think about how you can use the people around you and who you're going to meet because 
that's the biggest benefit I have found because you've mm. got a common ground in in being part of that membership. You clearly care about your profession, the standards. Um, you want to develop yourself, and therefore you're going to be much more open to conversations and sharing. And that's that's what it's done for me. It's just opened huge numbers of doors. You said it was it was eight years ago that you you walked into that room feeling quite nervous, a little bit out of your depth. I think people would be fascinated to know, and this is probably a very difficult question, but. Was there, were there one or two things that you did then and right up till now that has resulted in you being where you are now? If people are thinking to themselves, wow, one day I'd like to be in Jenny's position. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm just very opinionated. <laughs> um, never, Jenny, never. I know. I, I'm, I'm not afraid to have a conversation. And I think a lot of people that will know me will say, oh, she's you know very confident, she's very outspoken, she's... You know, not afraid to say what she thinks. When you walk into a room and you don't know anybody, no matter who you are, that's that's daunting. But you you can find a way to have a little bit of a common ground, or it's okay to be vulnerable. I think that's something I learned quite early on that if you don't know the way to get back to the tube from the meeting room, you're going to have to ask somebody, <laughs> or you can stand on your phone and Google. But actually, why not ask somebody? And I I will always remember Cornelius Alexander being the first person I spoke to at my first CIPR meeting, and he walked me to the tube, and I'll never forget standing with him in London, you know, crossing the road and thinking, oh, I don't know who this is, and um, you know, just so so many different people you can meet. So there's definitely that. There is also you have to be part of the solution and I think that's the piece for me that if you feel passionately about something and you feel quite purpose driven by what you're doing you have to be able to be part of the solution for that so you can't just come in and shout at everybody and tell them they're all wrong and then walk away you have to be prepared to roll your sleeves up get in and and make that change and I think that's probably the thing that I did the most when I was chair of CIPR inside we created our own little strategy. We had quite a clear sense of what we were going to do under that. And that that group grew, you know, not only in terms of numbers, it's usually the committee that's got the most people on it because people really want to be part of it. And it's got, you know, loads of Twitter followers now, which has, has grown over the years. And that's because the team work really hard to make mm. a difference and they want to do more to serve the membership. And I think that's the piece that don't be afraid to do that because mm. you're never going to do anything that's going to be to the detriment of the members or whichever professional body you're with, but just be prepared to take action. If you'd like to hear these episodes in full, head over to AB's website. That's abcom.co.uk, A-B-C-O-M-M, where you'll find all of our 30 plus episodes there, along with show notes. If you'd like to get a regular update on the show, plus other newsy nuggets from the world of IC, then while you're on the site, please do sign up for our monthly newsletter. It's called I Saw This and Thought of You. So listeners, season four, it kicks off on Wednesday, the 16th of September. So if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button today. Thank you to all those listeners who have provided thoughts and recommendations on themes and topics and guests. I have listened to what you've said and there will be a greater diversity uh, and variety of voices in season four. But we will continue to support, guide and inspire you in your quest to improve internal comms inside your organisations. So until we meet on the 15th, lovely listeners, stay safe and well. And remember, it's what's inside that counts.